I don't know what I called this title. Good God. It's not what's written here. I said trust God, but same thing. Same thing. I saw this post of uh, Tim Keller, which I wouldn't regularly or whatever. I saw this, this, this statement. I don't know if it's from a book or something, but it caught my attention, and I think it's really true because it, it leans into what I was thinking or, or the direction I was thinking in the last week or so. It says, sin always begins with the character assassination of God. Sin always begins with the character assassination of God. We believe that God has put us in this world of delights. Not delight, like a rapper, delight. Uh, let's make a U-Group's video with dad jokes. We believe that God has put us in this world of delights, but has determined that he will not give them to us if we, we have determined. We believe that God has put us in this world of delights, but has determined that he will not give them to us if we obey him. We've already made up our minds that God has put us in this perfect place. And we have at the same time already decided that God wouldn't give it to us. This is the issue Tim Keller expounds and deals with is the same as in the Garden of Eden. You have Adam and Eve in the garden. It's perfection. It's paradise. It is, uh, I don't think perfection is the right word, but it's paradise nonetheless. It is, it's a place without lack. There is nothing missing in that, that garden. I mean, God is there in person, and there is no limitation in their perception of God. They, they, there is nothing hindering them from understanding or seeing or, or, or interacting with God, they have the fullness of the garden available to them. All that they could know is there. And yet, there is this tree that God withholds from them, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the first thing that Satan does is he, he comes and he presents this, this, this tree to them and says to them, uh, why can't you eat of this tree? And he begins to, to uh, put in their minds this thought that God puts you in this place, taunts you with what you can't have. He puts you in this garden and he puts this tree there that is good for food and a delight to the eyes. I mean, you, you, you want to eat this tree. It's like if you're really hungry and you, you, you see a Woolworth's pepper steak pie. And he puts them there and... The, the tree is right there and they can't have it. It's one thing if you, if you have something in the United States that you can't have. We've settled that. We're in South Africa, you can't have it. You, it doesn't bother you that much that you can't have a Tesla. But if it's right here and you just can't have it, it's just, that's not fair. It's not this. So God puts this garden there, puts them in this garden, and then you can't have that. And at the same time, God says, I am good and I'm looking out for you. And so the devil begins to use this against them and says to them, if God is for you and if he is that good, how does he put you right there? It's the issue of David's son who fell in love with his sister-in-law, Absalom's sister, Mara, Tamara, I think. And he so desperately wanted his sister that he got sick and not able to have her. So he raped her and then didn't want her anymore. 
It's, it's so close, but you can't have it. And then to think that how can God put this next to me and not allow me to have it? Isn't life the same? We feel uh, so often that God puts us in a place, this world of delights, and even if we obey Him, we run the risk of not being able to get what we want. So I want to try and expound on this idea and, and try and help you understand that God is good. God is good. Say that to your neighbor. Tell him out loud. God is good. I've never done that. I don't do that often where I tell you to tell your neighbor because it's just difficult for introverts. Like an extrovert goes like, yes. Yes, God is good. The introvert is sitting there like, Where are my introvert buddies at? Where are my extrovert buddies at? Ta-da! Yes, I know, I know, I can really, I understand you, man. Introverts, the toughest part about a U group is the icebreaker. <laughs> the extrovert goes, I have the best icebreaker. The introvert goes, like, really? I love Jesus, that's why I'm here. The introvert goes, I love Jesus and icebreakers. Give me more. You're like the cookie monster, you can't stop. Our disobedience is centered on this mistrust of the goodness of God. Our disobedience is, is centered. This is where disobedience begins. Disobedience begins in our mistrust. This is Tim Keller's opinion. In the goodness of God, thus we must understand that all sin is grounded in refusal. Our refusal to believe that God is more dedicated to our good than we are. We refuse to believe that God is more dedicated to our good than we are. We don't, we don't believe that. And this is a profound statement you have to, I, I didn't put it on the screen, I should have, because this is good to read slowly. We are more committed to the idea that we are more good to ourselves than, than God is. If we were convinced that God is for our good, and more so than we ourselves, we would let go of the steering wheel much more quickly. This is like driving with a, with a passenger. My wife, more specifically. She is convinced that she is a better driver than me, grabbing at the steering wheel every now and then, just play up people. Well, it's. <laughs> this is how we are with God. We grab at the steering wheel all the time. Because we are not convinced that God is driving for our good. Does that make sense? We are not convinced that whatever God is doing is going to work out for our good. We are, we are silently and deeply hidden without, within our psyche, convinced that God is doing His things for His glory and we are just a byproduct that has to play our part so that God can get all the glory and we are going to suffer in the fallout. We are, we are, we are collateral damage. And so in a part, we have to guard ourselves because God is not going to. 
We will, we will never admit that publicly. We'll never say it out loud, but it is reflected. It is reflected in the way that you do life. It is reflected in the way you run finances. Your tithes and your offerings suffer because you don't trust God. Let's be honest, tithes and offerings, there's a ton of people that has a ton of opinions, especially on YouTube and Facebook. It's amazing. It's amazing. They've never done anything substantial, never built anything of measure or means. And then you're clever on Facebook and Instagram. Those people teach you about tithes and offerings, but you cannot argue tithes and offering out of the Bible. You cannot argue that out of the Bible. You have to do some serious deconstruction to do that. You have to completely violate scripture to argue tithes and offering out of scripture. And yet tithing and offering, majority of Christians don't tithe and a, a ton of Christians don't even give. But you won't have that problem if you were convinced that God is real. You wouldn't have that problem if you were convinced that God was real. Because if God was really, really real, and he says tithe, and you were convinced that in your tithing, God is looking after you, wouldn't that change it? So because we are, we, we think faith is not, faith is fluffy. I'm, I'm going to come and teach tonight. Is that okay? To many people, faith is, 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 is this fluffy feeling that it's okay if you really don't really believe. You sort of do, but you sort of don't because you're not sure, but you're sure, but you're not sure. That's too many people, their definition of faith. That's not the definition of faith in the Bible. The definition of faith in the Bible is not that I'm sort of sure, but I'm not sure of sure. And I'm on two legs. It says you can't love the world and love God at the same time because you, if you love the world, you're at enmity with God. It doesn't leave there very much space for grayness. Okay, so, so. Our refusal to believe that God is more dedicated to our good than we are. This is where disobedience begins. We don't believe that wherever God is leading our lives is going to be the best possible plan for our lives. The reason we do this is because we look for signs that we're on the right road. I've never, the only person I know that has gotten lost to Durban. I mean, driving to Durban is a straight line. It's the first thing when I was taught, because when I grew up in an era where you didn't have phones. My children were upset to me the other day because I put screen time on their phones. And they were upset with me. And I said to them, they said, did your dad do that to you? I looked at them and said to them, you know that I only got my first phone after high school. How messed up is that? Yeah, I mean, screen. My wife was driving to Durban. So my dad said to me, how you get to Durban? You drive straight. First board, Durban. You don't turn. Just easy peasy. I told Chanel she got lost. <laughs> I don't know where she went. She just didn't go to Durban. She ended up somewhere in Hillbrow in Johannesburg. I don't know where you ended up, but it was just not <laughs> Durban. But nobody's driving anywhere. And you, you drive into Durban, the first sign you see that says Cape Town, you go like, not Durban. <laughs> I mean, we look for signs. We are taught 
to look for signs. We, we pay attention. You can't get your driver's license if you don't know how to read signs. Signs tell you how fast you should go here and where you should turn left. And this is the, the airport has like, for people that can't read well, has the picture of an airplane. So it's easy to get there. It's easy to get. There. So we in life, we begin to look for signs that this is going to work out. We look for signs that this is, this is God's plan. And so, so we, we start off with God. And so the way we want to, we want to have it done is, is we want God when we are called because we give him our lives. We think that we've given God a prize when you give him your life. You think that you've given God something to work with. You don't realize that you've given him something that's busy dying. You think that you're giving God talents. And you're giving God IQ and you're giving God resources and a family surname and you're giving God some stuff to work with. And when you put this in God's hand, God should go like, I'm going to use you differently. Yes, honest. So God should spare you suffering and get you there. Then two or three months in, you've prayed. You now prayed and you prayed like Pastor David taught you how to pray. You were in church and you were walking up and down and you were serious. You had a frown on your forehead. And you were serious. You even had the hand signals. You were telling the devil, I bind you. And two months later, there's no girlfriend. And you've bound every single guy trying to date that girl. And you've tried to convince yourself that you're a seven. It's a theological sermon. I'm coming. And nothing's happening and you're thinking, God, where is this? And you're looking for signs. But if this was God and if I was using his name in prayer and if I was doing this right, I mean, I was in church and I went to church services. I went to you group. I did the, I'm an introvert. I did the, 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 the icebreaker and everything. And I still don't have results. God, this is a sign that maybe this is not the church. Let me go find a different pastor. Or let me find a different career. Let me change jobs. This is not the job. I can't get, I'm not going to get promoted here. This is not it. Because the talent that I had, the sheer talent and IQ and momentum that I have with my brain capacity should have, it's the sign. And we quit because the signs are not there that this is God. And so we, we begin to question God. And so Adam and Eve is standing in the garden and, 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 and Satan comes to them and says, if, did God really say that you can't eat of that tree? He says, no. If I eat of this tree, I'll die. That's a serious threat to put a tree right there that you can see and touch and look at and smell and feel. You're just not allowed to taste it. That's nasty. That's nasty. You can't have that. Because God knows that if you have that. So they're trying to change the reason for God saying no. God is not looking out for you. He is being spiteful. That's why young people jump in. Uh, I'm, I'm working this thing. I'm coming. This is why young people jump into a bed with a girl because they can't wait. They can't wait. For possible, many possible reasons. One of them is that they might lose the girl. Some girls say yes because they're scared that they might lose, lose the boy. But if God is involved, if, if I don't do this, I'll lose him. God is just too slow. I'll help God be good to me. I'll help God be good to me. 
I'll, I'll do this deal this way, or I'll just cheat a little bit here to get that. And if I do it this way, then I'm helping God be good. This is not how it works. So I want you to go with me. Let's read in Luke chapter number 15. We'll start with the parable of the lost son. We'll start there. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. A man who had two sons. We pray, Abba, Father. He is our Father. We are the sons of God. We know that it is, it is um, two genders in that, male and female. In the beginning, he created man. Male and female, he made them. In the beginning, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It's in the beginning of the Bible. Father, give me my share of the estate. Give me my share of the estate. Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So the father has an estate. The son feels entitled to something. Just that is when you step out of order into sin is because you feel that you should have it. You feel that you should deserve, you deserve it. It feels like your flesh needs it. The father has something. The son says, divide to me my portion, my share of the estate. So the son feels that what the father has is his. When we pray and ask God, you can't ask for what you don't think is yours. You, you can't ask the father for what you don't think is yours, but this is where the confusion and the devil plays into your confusion. You begin to ask God for things in your life that you feel you deserve. How, how would you ask God for something that you don't feel that, that, that you deserve it? I mean, if you, it, it, this is what conscience does to you. Your conscience accuses you and paralyzes you to not respond. If you are, if you feel guilty towards something, you're not going to approach someone for something because you feel in inferior or uh, not allowed to, or you block yourself up in your, out of, in your own mind. Makes sense, right? So this boy says, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. He divided his property between them. So he, in his mind, already says, this is yours and this is yours. So the older son already has his portion allotted to him. The older son already has what his is his, and the younger, the younger brother already has what is his. His share, right? Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So the son takes, he forgets where he is. See this picture? Here is a father. He has two boys. The boy stays with his father. He is in the house of his father. He walks into the living room, but his father is also there. So it's, his living room, but it's his father's living room. It's his house, but it's his father's house. It's his couch, but it's his father's couch. And he flips the channels as he wants to, and he opens the fridge as he wants to, but he wants to be his own man. So Adam and Eve is in the garden. In the day that you eat of that tree, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So they're not happy being in the garden with God, they wanted to be like God. They wanted their own thing. The problem in South Africa, hear me now, it's good that there are many churches. We need many churches. 
When I speak to pastors this week, I bumped into a pastor from one of the Nelsprite churches, a large church in Nelsprite. He approached me, began talking. I said to him, it's amazing. We need many more churches. We can't pastor all the people by ourselves. But what, what is happening is that we don't have churches with a united voice. We have fragmented groups of people that hate one another. And the government pays no attention to us because we are so scattered. We don't have any unity in our opinion. We are too upset. I'd rather change my story than agree with you. And so we're fragmented. We like fragmenting things. And the devil knows when he begins to fragment you and when he divides you and splits you up, your power is lost. That's why he is targeting your children. He targets not through targeting them. You think they target your children directly. They target your children by targeting the marriage. When the marriage is split, it already has an effect. With, he doesn't even have to look at your children to affect them if he can split the marriage. He wants to divide. And so this boy is looking at his father's stuff and he says, give me what is mine. And he takes it and one day he decides, well, if this is mine and I have this right, I can take what is mine and leave. And he packs up. This is how blind we are looking at signs. He looks at, I wonder how did the dad divide things up to him? Did he say, okay, the TV is yours. The car parked in the garage, that's yours. There are three. That one there, that's yours. Did he, how, did, how did he divide? Did he go like the 500 sheep in the, in the felt there? 250 is yours. How did he divide it up? Did he take the sheep skins that was, that was there? What did, what did he take? And so he divides it up and he puts it, stacks it up and, and he begins to count his net worth. And in him counting what is his, he never counts the father. He doesn't count the brother. He doesn't count the servants. He doesn't count the country that they stay in. He doesn't count the culture that he's growing up in. He doesn't count the wisdom of his father. He counts his stuff. He says, look at that, that. And, and the Bible reads that, that no longer after that young, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a different, distant country. And there he squandered his wealth. He left with wealth. He came. Okay. In wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who said to him, To the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomachs with the pods that the pigs were eating, but none, uh, no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am serving to starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And again, this boy in his own mind did not know what he had, took the stuff that he thought was valuable, left with the stuff, discounted his father, his mother, his family, his inheritance, everything that he had there. He left and with his stuff. And when he had spent the stuff, and had learned the lesson through suffering that stuff is not what defines you. Why would anyone leave his father's house if he thinks what he has in his father is more than what he would have if he left? 
Why would you take your stuff from your father's house and leave if you, how many of us would leave if you know that that road leads to less? And he takes what he has and the, mu the much he got was still less than what he really owned. And the much he had, he made that even less following after the heart's desires, thinking that his plan is better than his father's plan for him. And he leaves his father's house. Now he has to go back to his father's house with even less. And in his fleshly carnal mind, he says to the father in his continued persistence that he knows best, tells his father, don't call me a son anymore. Make me a servant. How is your path that you seem to think because generally boys leave houses somewhere along the line when you're old enough, you should leave. This is the direction that most people should. He is culturally supported by what is happening in the macro environment. He, what, he, what he is going through is, is, is normal to anybody. So he leaves his father's house and he comes back. And even in his carnal mind, he says to his father, make me less. His continued persistence in his own thinking has now made him, taken it from son, that's an heir, to a poor man that is willing to be a servant. Adam and Eve starts off in the garden seeing God. They leave sinners because God is not for them. Because the devil convinced them what God has withheld from them is better if they have it. We are sometimes convinced by our own thinking and the, and, and the, the, the plans of the devil to, 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 to confuse your mind that what God is withholding from you is robbing you of something that you should have. We should get to a place where we understand that when God withholds something from you, he is not spiteful, he is saving you. How many people do you know is upset with God for a relationship that didn't work out? Not knowing the relationship didn't work out, not because God is spiteful, but because God is for you. And we still can't get to the point that God is for us. We think that God is not for us. And if I had that, I would have been more happy. The story of the prodigal son is proof that no matter what you do outside of God, you can't make it more. You can never make anything more without God. Multiplication comes from God. Everything that is in this earth cut off from God is working slowly but surely towards death. Everything and anything is left up to deteriorate. This carpet in time will deteriorate. The speaker systems in time will deteriorate. Your iPhone with help from Apple, is deteriorating fast. <laughs> Nothing outside of God lasts or gets better. Everything deteriorates. And when you leave God, you are leaving towards a path that is deteriorating. But you, you insist that you have a better way to look after yourself than God does. This boy comes back. He says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. What, his, what he wanted, what he wanted and had as his divided inheritance in the beginning is nothing measured against the robe that this father put on his shoulders. The ring his father put on his hand 
is probably far less in value to all the sheep he left with. The sheep. The sheep he left with in the beginning. The ring his father put on his finger is probably worth less than all the stuff he gathered together. And the robe could be bought with far less money than the money he squandered in the distant country. The sandals on his feet is just pure sa just sandals, normal sandals, cheap, no value. But what those three things meant outweighed in value all the stuff he could ever own by himself. How many of us walk away from our inheritance in God towards stuff, thinking that the stuff can buy those things, not knowing that the intrinsic value of that coat far outweighs all the stuff you can gather. This young boy never knew the value of a coat. He did not understand the value. I wonder if that coat hung in the dad's closet. I wonder how many times the father said to the young boy, go, go fetch me a coat. And the young boy would go into the closet and see this coat hanging there. I wonder how many times this prodigal son saw rings on his father's fingers and looked at it and didn't understand the value of it. How many times he saw sandals and didn't give it a second guess. Bishop T.D. Jakes preaches a sermon on the pain and the suffering that we have to go through, that the greatness is born in suffering. The more Egypt afflicted the Israelites, the more they grew. We want to avoid suffering. We're thinking that if we avoid it, we'll be better off. We'll be more healthy. We'll be, we'll be stronger. It's not, it's not in good times that you grow strength. And in the absence of suffering, the ring never meant anything to this boy. And the coat never meant anything to this boy. And the sandals never meant anything to this boy. Until he had taken all that he thought was valuable and lost it. And when he had lost it, he came back and this worthless coat and this ring that in the season before meant nothing, now means the world. Imagine what happens to this young boy's mind when the dad wraps a coat around him. Because it tells him something about his real inheritance. Your real inheritance is not in the stuff God gives you. He says, seek ye first the kingdom, because there's something. And all these things shall be added unto you. We leave the kingdom for the things. We think the things are more important. I'm going to try and finish this. Well, so the son said, oh, wait, wait. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. And when he had come near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? And your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed a fattened calf. And because he has, hit, has him back safe and sound, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Watch this. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So this older brother is in the same house as the younger brother. The younger brother put out his hand and, and touched something that was in his house but wasn't his. Wasn't his yet. You know the, the thing about inheritance? It's yours but it's not yours yet. I say to my children growing up in my house, all that I have is, is theirs. I say to Kyra and Kaylee and Kenzie and Rico all the time, everything I own is theirs, just not yet. It's already theirs, just not yet. But it's theirs, just not yet. And this young man stands in the house and he says, Father, give me what is mine now. Not knowing that what he wants now is already his, but not yet. And the older brother now sees the younger brother 
have a party thrown at him. And he says to his father, how is this possible? How is this possible? Watch the story. So his father went and pleaded. So the older brother became angry and refused to go. So his father went out and pleaded with him. He pleaded with him. So the, the father, are you following the story? Is this okay? You seem very quiet. The father is pleading with the older son. The, the father is in this house having two sons that are absolutely confused. Both of them completely confused about who they are. Both of them are not really happy with the father. The younger wanted his stuff now. I don't want to be under your control, father. The older wasn't like the younger. He said, I'll stay God. I'll stay father. But I don't want you to be unfair towards my younger brother. He deserves worse. Both of them have a different mindset about how justice should be served. And here the father is and saying to himself, I don't understand what's both. He goes out and he pleads with his son, come in, come into the house. He pleads with his son. But both these sons think that their father is not for them. The younger, the older son is literally saying to the father, how can, how, how can you do this? Father, you are not just. Is it not what he's saying to his father? He's saying to his father, watch. But he answered his father said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. So he's saying, father, I never disobeyed your orders. What you're doing now, I'm in a disagreement with Adam and Eve is standing in the garden. God said, we shouldn't trust, eat this tree, but he is spiteful. He's withholding something from us that I think we deserve. How do you deserve it? You didn't make it. How do you deserve it? Did you design it? Did you, did, did you, how, what do you deserve? It's my right as a human being. What right did you give your own self breath? Where did you come from? From nothing you came into this earth and you will leave with nothing. So what right do you have being upset with God? We're upset. And this younger brother says to the father, I'm not happy with how you're doing things. How many of us are silently not happy with God? God, I, we do it and we manifest our unhappiness in multiple ways. Some of us say, okay, I'll never ask you for anything again. I'll come to church because I'm scared of going to hell. Some of us say, I'll come to church, but I'm not going to engage. I'll find a different church. I'll do it a different way. I'll do it my way. I'll pretend like I love you, and then I'll still sort of negotiate my way to, into success. We all try in different ways to get what we want. And we sort of give up on the idea that God is good. Because we have this self-serving internal agenda that says that we deserve something that God is withholding from us. We're trying to negotiate with God through our actions and deeds and behaviors. And we try to negotiate. If I pretend to be good for a week, will you give it to me then? As if God really doesn't know what's in your heart. We, prepare, we pretend to be kind and we pretend to love and we pretend to show up. So that we can get God to sort of not see that we're nasty. Thinking that if God does it, then he'll give it to us. And the aim is not to have God, it's to have the thing that God has. We see God as the door to what we want, not the thing we want behind the door. We look at God's hands much more than we look at his face. What can we get from God much more than what we have in God? The children were, the, the younger son was much more happy with the stuff the father had than he had with the dad. 
Some would rather lose the stuff than lose the father. He was willing to lose the father so they could have the stuff. Does that make sense? And the older brother is also upset with the father. He says, I've served you all my life. I don't think you're just right now. I don't think you're doing it well. I don't think you have my goodness in your heart. My future is not in my... He's literally saying to his father, I feel my future is being a little bit unstable in your hands right now. I mean, if, if my future was secure, the signs would have been different. Looking at the signs, Durban, Kopstadt. I mean, you're giving my brother now a second chance. Does that mean I'll lose because he wasted half of the stuff already? My half, is that going to be split into two? If you are just, you'll tell him to be a slave. I don't think my future is secure if you give him that. The signs are telling me that it's not working out. And as Christians, we think that we can see the whole picture. You can see up to this moment, that's all you can see. Look, all these years I've been slaving off for you, never disobeyed. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with you, my friends. But when, with this son of yours, this son of yours, not my brother, the son of yours very quickly forgets that he's his brother who has squandered your property with prostitutes has come home very quick when you're offended to call the sins of your brother out. Not recognizing the hypocrisy in your own heart. Every time you mention another person's sin, you're a hypocrite. Because you never mention yours first. This is why Jesus writing on the sands, he says he without sin cast the first stone. Everyone had to leave. You never point a finger without also pointing out your own sin. We disqualify people based on their sin, but our sin is justified. He attacks the father. Where's the honor? And in his own hypocrisy, he says, you never gave me even a goat. But when the son of yours squandered your property, it's your property. Do with it as you please. But in his mind, he thinks I deserve it. Why does he say this son of yours squandered your property? Well, if it's my property, why are you upset? But you don't think it's mine. You think it's yours silently. You think you deserve everything that is withheld from you. You think the raise you didn't get, you deserved it. You can't celebrate with a friend at the office that got it. And that's maybe the test. You squander your property with prostitutes come home and you kill a fatted calf for him. Not only does he, he is disqualified by his behavior and you take more of your stuff and give it to him. How dare you? He's upset with the father. And the father said, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, this brother, he, the father reminds him, not the son of mine. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. Both these sons live in the same house and both of them are upset because of what they did not get. Yet they had it all along. I'm going to slow it down and break it up. How many of us are in the family of God 
And everything, as I say to my children, everything that is mine is already theirs. Everything God says that he has blessed you with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. Every blessing in the heavenlies is already yours. And you're upset that you don't have. There is a disconnect. There is a disconnect. But let me, let me make sure I don't say this wrong. Where did I write it down? There is a disconnect between the receiving of something and the releasing of something. There is a disconnect in our Christian minds. There's a big gap between the receiving of something and God releasing it to you. We think the receiving happens when it's released. The receiving does not happen when, it, when did these two sons, the father says to the two boys, everything that is mine is yours. When did that, when did it happen? When did the, everything that is the father's become theirs? At what stage of their lives was everything that is the father's become theirs? When they asked for it? Or when they were born? So being born in the father's house automatically made whatever is the father's theirs. But they grew up in a house with a mindset that what is the father's is not mine, I have to wait for it. And only when I get it does it become mine. So the younger, the older son was upset that he never had a fatted calf while the fatted calf was his. He never lived from the mindset that I already have what I think I should have. And he was silently upset with the father never touching what was his property. How many of us are living outside the divine promises of God because we don't think we deserve it? Don't think we're a heir to the things of God. When does God's things become yours? When you die. Because the kingdom, Jesus went about preaching the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. At hand means I can put my hand on it. At hand doesn't mean tomorrow. It is now and to come. It is revealed and still revealing. But it is not something that we'll walk into when we die. We are already in it. Very many of us are missing out on the, the, the kingdom of God already revealed in our time. We don't think that God is good for us. We think that we should have one foot in, in, in our pretend Christianity and one foot in working out our own thing here in case this doesn't work out. I asked ChatGPT for some sayings about you don't gamble the whole house. Because this is how I want to equate some of our people's faith. It says, don't put all your eggs in one basket. This is how we do faith. I trust God, but not fully. We think faith is gamble, not fact. We live Christianity as if it's a gamble. We don't really know. If I live Christianity that way, I'll also not really have. How sure are you your wife loves you? Well, none of you, because you're not married yet. Most of you don't, you can't even find a day. How sure am I Chanel loves me? Is it a gamble? Do you think I gamble? Is it a gamble to be married? Because how sure am I she loves me? There has to be a commitment to this relationship to some degree that I say I'm convinced that she loves me. Otherwise, how does this work? If I'm, I'm, I'm is it, am I trying to get, it's not like casting. If you take two dices and you roll it, you, you'll, 
You don't know what number is gonna, this is how we live out our faith. We are gambling with the fact that God might answer our prayers. God might be good for us. But just in case God isn't, I'll have a backup. We have a backup for God because we don't really believe He is real. So I sow a little bit just in case God's real. But not enough to feel it. Because what if it's not? And I've just given my money away to nothing. And if I give my money away to nothing and then the pastor buys a nice car with my money, that, that's stupid. But maybe God's real, so I'll just put a hundred bucks. So we're gambling. Okay. Is it Mark? Where is the story about Stephen being appointed to the business of overseeing um, some dude? Acts 6, Acts 6, 5 or 6, Acts 6. I'm putting all my thoughts in one sermon. Then next week I don't have anything. I have a whole week to think of stuff. Is it Acts chapter 6 talking about the appointment of Stephen? Any moment now, we, it's going to happen. It's happening. It's happening as we speak. As it's happening. Again and again. In those days, the number of disciples were increased in the Hellenistic Jews. Those are the dispersed Jews in different cultures. Among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Let's read that slowly. We can give multiple sermons in one. Go back. In those days, the number of disciples increased. Uh, some Jews were complaining about other Jews because of their widows being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. In other words, just pause there. That's a cause. So there is a community cause that is causing people to be upset. People are upset because there is a cause. There is farm murders, which is a real, real issue. I'm not denying that. There is poverty, severe poverty. There are people staying in a shack this big with six people sleeping in it right now. Not one, not two. Millions of South Africans are sleeping in shacks the size of this thing in this heat. Right now, that's a cause. There are many causes. People are going without food. They're next to the whole robot. There are people that don't have food. That's a cause. We're making cause the core of Christianity. Cause is not core. Discipleship is core. Making disciples is core. You can die from hunger but still go to heaven. But if you are fed and not saved, you go to hell. So the 12 gathered the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait tables. So they said, we are not going to stop preaching so that we can serve causes. This is what, that's the translation. You can go and read this by your own time. The SPCA is not more important than the gospel. Some people are giving more to the SPCA than they give to the church. Giving more to soup kitchens than to the preaching of the word. So the trial gathered, the brothers and sisters, choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the spirit of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. The NIV says responsibility. NKJV, drop it on there. I think it says business. 
whom we may appoint over this business, full of the Holy Spirit. In other words, I don't even know what I wanted to say about that. If you are Mary and Martha, one is serving in the kitchen, one is sitting at the feet of Jesus. The one sitting and serving in the kitchen is upset with the one sitting with the feet of Jesus. Says to Jesus, tell the one sitting at your feet to come and help me serve in the kitchen. Jesus says she has chosen the better part. You can't do that if you think this is a gamble. If you're gambling tonight with your time, next week when rugby's up, It's a gamble. You might be right or wrong. You won't lose out. You've got a 50-50. Fine if you watch rugby. I don't have an issue with you watching rugby. But if rugby starts mixing in too much with my Christianity, that becomes a problem. I don't mind watching rugby. I'll probably watch it myself. Don't get me wrong. And if you're in the team playing the rugby, I don't mind you missing church for that. We're not confused nor stupid in our expression of our faith. But if you... If, if you come to church once a month, it's because you're trying to make sure that if you're gambling, you've at least got some cards on the table. But if you are certain that this is God, you don't just put some cards on the table, you put everything on the table. Look before you leap. A bird in hand is worth two in the bush. It's better to have a certain advantage than possibility of a great one. We, it's like Esau and, and, and uh, Jacob, Esau was hungry now and busy dying. He says, sell me that soup. He says, no, I'll exchange you the soup for your birthright. He says, what good is a birthright if I die now? So I'm not certain about tomorrow. I'd rather give you my birthright now and have the soup and live. And then I can negotiate through life again tomorrow. How many of us exchange for that stupidity? Daniel was faced with the same thing. If you don't bow down before me, and keep on praying in that window of yours, you die. You were so certain, he said, bring the lions. That's not a gamble when you walk into a lion's den. You're not trying to figure out, is this faith real? You're saying, I've bet my whole house on this. My life is on this. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some of us go, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord when it's convenient. When I don't get challenged in life. When troubles don't come and knock on my door. You are not going to escape problems in the world that we live in right now. There is not rumors of wars. We can see it on, on, on X. There's rumors. There's not rumors. There's pictures. The world is absolutely upside down. It's in chaos. You're not going to escape troubles in this life. Troubles are coming. But you'll navigate the troubles based on what you think is real or not real. And some of us... I'm going I'm to finish the sermon. Let me read you the scripture. He says, Jesus answered in Mark 11, answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, what, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them. And you will have them. It says two things. Believe that you receive them and you'll have them. In other words, you, it is received before it's released. It is received before it's released. Some of us don't think it is received. That's why it's never released. There's a gap between the receiving and the releasing. 
the son who said to his father, give me what is mine. He got what was already his. It was just not released. But because he forced it to be released, he lost it. That's why the gap exists. God will give you what you ask, but he will work, wait out the time so that you can handle what he releases to you. A body of a 16 year old girl can have a baby. She can receive the baby, but it's not the right time for her to have the baby because her mind can't handle the responsibility. So if she is what, what is she is able to receive can wait until God releases it. God will wait until the mind gets to a place where she can handle it. How many things are you forcing in disobedience because you're not trusting God? You don't think God is good for your future, so you take it into your own hands. You're grabbing at the steering wheel. I'm ready for love. God says, not that girl. You says, this girl is mine. You grab the steering wheel. I want it. And sometimes you force a relationship that God doesn't want. Because you think you're too old. Sarah was a hundred before. God can give you the right. I'd rather have a wife late than the wrong one early. I think the question you should ask yourself, is God good? Is God good? God's good better than your good? Is God's plan better than your plan? Another guy wrote this, he said. He says, if your pastor can ever rebuke you because you call the rebuke abuse, you're not looking for a covering, you're looking for a cover up. When God can't say no to you, you're not submitted. If, a God, if God's no to you helps you make your own plan, are you really a child in his house? Because my children has no say in the no. A no for me to my children is a no. That's why I'm the parent. And when we ask God and he says no, and you go out of your way to make that no a yes on your own terms, you're stepping into disobedience. God said, don't have that tree. They said, God, sorry. And they had the tree. They caused trouble. How many of us, this young man said, give me what is mine now. He already had it. He says, it has always been yours. And so much more than you think you deserve. Now I'm here to tell you in final statement tonight that whatever God is doing for you and in your life is much better than you can do by yourself. When you give God your life and you go like, is this it? This, this it is better than what you would have done. Nothing you do can outperform what God can do in your life. Even when his nose hurt, I have to submit and say that's better than my yes. His no is a better plan than my plan. I can't see what he sees. I can't see the car that I insist on buying. How that car will turn out to not be a good car. I remember as a young man, I was scared to buy a car if I didn't get a yes from God. I don't know why. I don't care if it's a color or a wheel or a bearing. I don't know what it was. I always told myself there is something I can't see. And I was settled in this thought that maybe God sees something that I, not maybe. God sees something that I can't see. Because if it was good for me, he would not withhold it from me. How would God that is good withhold anything that is good? He withholds what is bad. But the devil has convinced you that what you term, what you think God is saying is bad, you think is good and you insist on having it. God is good 
The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. I find it funny that it says, taste and see. It was the thing that Adam and Eve was not supposed to taste. And God says to you, taste and see. They didn't believe that he was good because they wanted to taste what they shouldn't have. And here the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. God is good. He loves you. He cares for you. Amen.